Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Bodybuilding.com podcast. I'm Nick Coleus, and Heather Eastman is here with me as well. Uh, today, we're audio only because we just had a Skype call with Ross Edgley. He's a best-selling author in the UK who, over the last 10 years or so, has built his legend by embracing all kinds of crazy strength and endurance challenges. He ran a marathon, pulling a mini behind him, and I think a truck another time. Uh, he rope climbed the height of Mount Everest, and then he also did what he called a triathlon, where he completed a tri, uh, try while carrying a rather large log on his back. So his current obsession is what he calls strongman swimming, which is long distance open water swimming, either on his own or pulling logs behind him. And he does all of this while weighing in at a pretty jack 220 or so, and he's staying incredibly lean and muscular, lifting weights a lot. He's a really interesting guy, and he's written about uh, everything he's learned in a new book called The World's Fittest Book, How to Train for Anything and Everything, Anywhere and Everywhere. If you like books like Born to Run or Four Hour Body, Body, it's really in that same vein. It's about him running with the Bushmen in Namibia on one page, and then he's deadlifting with Andy Bolton, the first man to pull a hundred, uh, pull a thousand pounds on the next page. And then it's about how to add muscle and live below 10% body fat year-round, that sort of stuff. We had a just fantastic conversation, so let's listen in. Hi, it's Jamie, Progressive's Employee of the Month, two months in a row. Leave a message at the... Hi, Jamie. It's me, Jamie. I just had a new idea for our song about the Name Your Price tool. So when it's like, tell us what you want to pay, hey, 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 and the trombone goes, blah, 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 and you say, we'll help you find coverage options to fit your budget. Then we just all do finger snaps while a choir goes, savings coming at ya, savings coming at ya. Yes? No? Maybe? Anyway, see your practice tonight. I got new lyrics for the rap break. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Start the podcast here. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so let's start with the basics. Um, what did you What did you do today? I, I, I remember uh, looking at a, vi- a video you did on Red Bull. That's exactly yeah. I, I remember watching a video on Red Bull um, where you kind of went over. Okay, here's all the training. You know, there's another one. Here's everything I ate. It was a pretty. It was a pretty damn packed day from sun up to sundown. I'm just curious. What did you What did you actually do today? Yeah, no. So t- well, today was a little bit extreme. So I kind of, I wanted, uh, it wasn't necessarily an ordinary day today, but I suppose, you know, since you asked, I'll tell you what I did today. So it was, it was up at four o'clock today since we had um, a little bit of filming to do. And this is going to sound so weird, but because we've got the book tour coming up, um, I'm doing a lot of filming and they wanted to do a really cool time-lapse video of me swimming through sunrise. So they just said, Ross, you can just swim 30K, right? Just in the pool. And um, I was like, I suppose I'm going to have to. So today was, yeah, 30 kilometers today in a, in a 25 meter pool, which got pretty boring. Oh my God. That's 30 kilometers in a 25 meter pool? Yeah, that's... Uh, okay, if I'm doing some rough that, math. That's a, what, 50,000 times back and forth? I don't know, what is that? Yeah, it's a lot. yeah. It, it was pretty bad it was it was pretty it was just but it's also as well i mean i say with this they're so kind down down the swimming pool and they always just kind of rail off uh, a lane at the end and just go like look he's going to be there for a while <laughs> and i can just bring, <laughs> and i can just bring what is essentially a picnic and i just put it on the side of the uh, of the pool and i'm just nailing you know porridge oats and i mean you'll know nick as well with your endurance background it's it's, it's an eating competition mm-hmm. it's not even a competition it's just how much you can kind of stomach so yeah i i, I enjoyed you had a um a video about swimming 100 kilometers in a pool recently and you, uh, you called it basically an eating competition with a little bit of swimming uh, <laughs> exactly. um one thing i liked about though was you know, about that one in particular when you swam 100k was you know just 15 hours in this is like a 40 hour swim or whatever it is you're you're already smiling to keep away the tears you said like you're you're out there pretty early in the process kind of punchy and by the end of it like 
you're 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 out there. You make you, you make mistakes. You suffer. You kind of lose your mind. Um, and I'm wondering, like, do you have to lose your mind? Is that is that part of the strategy in all this? Yeah, I think with swimming, I mean, with with all endurance events, I, I find swimming's a little bit different. I mean, I, I love trail running, fell running. You know, we were just talking about that. Um, and I think you know, you you're it's you against the elements. Some of the scenery is amazing, but with swimming, sometimes you are staring at the bottom of a pool for what? Well, in that case, it was forty eight hours. So it's just this sheer sensory deprivation mm-hmm. and. And if your mind can wander, and that can be a good thing, or it can be a bad thing. Like if you've got any, uh, and I was chatting to the Royal Marines about this. So I did the 48-hour swim um, down at Limstone um, with the Royal Marines. And what was really nice is because it played with the parameters of conventional sport, it was nice that I could chat to the Royal Marines. And 36 hours in, I'll be saying, guys, I'm, I'm kind of hallucinating a little bit. I think I keep... <laughs> I think I keep seeing fish. And they were like, no, no, there's no fish in the pool. <laughs> I was like, all right, cool, just check it. And, and it was so nice that it was so, like, they'd been through that. Mm-hmm. And it was nice to exchange just ideologies. And, and genuinely, that's why I love what you do on, on, on the podcast, because it's just an exchange of ideas. And ultimately, sometimes that's a lost art form, because I think too many people are, are so keen to get on their keyboards and, and go and pull up this study and that study. And it's just like, well, what about actually just getting in the trenches right. and, ex- and exchanging these ideas w- with people who have been there? Mm-hmm. Right. That's sure. one thing we appreciate about Chris Gethin is that he is willing to experiment on himself. And talk talk you through it. Talk you through the <laughs> whole process. tell you exactly you know, what's it's going on. In a very personal way. That was, yeah. So, so as, as, yeah. Some, as an event like this gets closer, though, that, is that delirium, is that something that you find yourself being afraid of? Or is it something that you start to crave a little bit? What, what, like, what's your relationship with it? Oh, that's a good question. Only because, and I, I recently spoke about this, I gave a lecture on um, Tim Noakes' idea of the central governor theory. Mm-hmm. Just say fatigue is an emotionally driven state um, that is basically tricking or triggering the body to, to pull the handbrake on, that physiological handbrake to say, whoa, whoa, because your body likes homeostasis. It likes this habitual level. It likes to be, you know, comfortable. And all of a sudden, if you're saying, right, we're going to go and swim for 48 hours, your body's going to go, no, that doesn't seem like a good idea. And so, you know, you have this constant conversation between your mind and your body and your mind is saying whoa you're in danger you're in danger stop whereas in reality the central governor theory is saying you have so much more to give at that point at the point where you really think you're about to stop the navy seals say you're really at 40 percent mm-hmm. you have that <laughs> much you that up, i was gonna say that that's a navy seal thing is that you it's the 40 percent rule right when you right? think you're you want to quit you're only at 40 percent <laughs> Yes. Yeah, so, have you seen uh, David Goggins? Are you familiar with, with him? He was on the Joe Rogan mm-hmm. podcast. Yes. And yeah, he's exactly the same. And he says that. I mean, when he talks about his, um, his pull-up record and you see the state of his hands, I think it was the most pull-ups in 24 hours. Like his hands are so blistered. But you think that wouldn't have happened. Like it wasn't just one tear. It would have just accumulated over hours and hours. So you think what must he have gone through to get to that point? And so, sorry, Nick, looping back around to your, your, actual, your actual question, which was, do you crave it? I think I crave getting to that point. Because when you get to that point, you ask yourself, like, are you going to continue? Mm-hmm. And it's the law of excessive overload. I think a lot of people will talk about, you know, when you get to that point to use, um, you know, bodybuilding, you're training for muscular hypertrophy and you're doing a horrible drop set where you're trying to induce um, 
um, this kind of uh, metabolic stress, like Dorian Yates, Mike Mensa type training, you know, or German volume training. You're on your 10th set, 10th rep, and really you're going to have a conversation with yourself. Do you really want this? Mm-hmm. And if you finish it, it's like, really. And I think endurance for me is the equivalent to that. And I think that bonds all athletes. Sorry, that was a long-winded answer. No, 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 I like <laughs> it, yeah. Only, only in addition to having that conversation with your hands and your muscles, you're also having it with the fish at the bottom of the swimming pool. <laughs> exactly. It's exactly. No, and, and my area of expertise is endurance running and a little bit of CrossFit, and they talk about the same thing. They call it the psychological threshold where you write out – and I'm sorry, I don't know if I introduced myself. I'm Heather, by the way. Um, <laughs> this is Heather. Yes. And the psychological threshold is you sit there and you, you look at the entire workout, and it's meant to scare you. It's meant to kind of terrify you, and then you just have to push your body through it and push your mind through it anyway. And I always said there are two kinds of CrossFitters. There's those who are mentally tough and those who have the physical strength, and the mentally tough ones will beat out the physical ones every single time. Wow. Do you find, I, I, I find that fascinating as well there, Heather, just because, have you ever seen a Gold Rush, which was a documentary on the yes. British rugby team? Mm-hmm. Yeah. They, to, to your point about like, it should scare you. Mm-hmm. Like they were actually, before an ERG test, before they were actually doing a crazy VO2 test, mm-hmm. they would actually be sick beforehand because their body almost knew what was coming. And there's also, there's a brilliant documentary as well on uh, Sir Chris Hoy, who was uh, one of our greatest ever um, cyclists. And you see when he's doing similar interval training, it's really weird. Like when, and, and there's a, this calm in the gym and he walks in and then you see him like he sets up the bike and all of a sudden, you know, he makes sure it's all set how he wants. And then he goes out and he comes back and he lays down a mattress next to the, to the bike. And you think that's a bit odd. And, <laughs> appears and he goes to another cupboard and he brings out a bucket and he puts the bucket next to the bed and it's all laid out perfectly and then he starts his intervals and it's not until afterwards when you see him just fall off in a completely like sheer fatigue and he's convulsing like he's trying to be sick but he's got nothing to give and it's like that's where you have to put your body you know within the book we talk about you know Hansel your 1936 law of adaptation and they just found that stress and stimuli is the key to adaptation and it bonds all athletes you know whether it's crossfit and ultra running strength training it doesn't matter and i think that's what's so great about what you guys do certainly what i try to do with the book that it's just getting people to ask the question are you actually subjecting your body to enough stress and stimuli to adapt because mm-hmm. some people aren't and they're not to, to heather's point prepared to go there you know to that horrible place where you're going to cause your body mm-hmm. to adapt yeah. yeah, no, it's it's interesting talking about this too, because the, the way you describe it, it sounds like something that's very difficult to train for, right? And watching how, how you, in this other video, I, uh, watching how you train, um, it seems like there's a lot of concurrent training going on in what you're doing right now. You submit yourself to a lot of different muscular training, a lot of different energy system training. And there's really two ways people can prepare for these things. They can specialize or they can do, you know, a lot of cross training, a lot of concurrent training. And I feel like throughout the book, the World's Fittest book, um, you present a lot of different complete workout plans. They're all pretty specialized, though. And I'm wondering how, how you find that line between concurrent training and specialized training at this point, especially now that you're doing things for you know longer periods of time, swimming 100 days straight coming up or something like that. 
Yeah, yeah, that's a good question. Only because, you know, and, and for those listening, talking about concurrent training, so Robert Hicks in 1980s found that training for strength and stamina um, was not optimal. The two could not coexist. He said, and I, I quote, you dilute the potency of the stimuli. So on a cellular level, your body doesn't quite know what to adapt to. So if you're going to try and beat your 5K running time, but also try and put up a one rep max on deadlift, the two aren't going to be optimal. However, and you're absolutely right, within the World's Fittest book, we talk about how looking at stress and stimuli and, and the potency of, of, of that signal you're sending to your body, if you're able to separate your workout, so in any given day, everybody has 24 hours. And Verkashansky, one of the greatest strength conditioning coaches um, that's ever lived, talks about this idea of adaptive energy. So in 24 hours, say I'm handed, uh, you know, Nick and Heather, and you come to me and say, okay, I'm going to train for... Uh, you know, CrossFit and I'm going to be training for, um, you know, an ultra run. I know that I've only got a certain amount of adaptive energy if I'm coaching you and you only have a certain amount in your body. So there's no point in me saying, Nick, for your uh, ultra run, we're going to start every morning with, you know, uh, some uh, metabolic conditioning and legs and we're going to do see what you got on uh, in the squat rack. Because that's just completely not conducive to what you're training for. But by being so, so specific, so sorry to loop back around on concurrent training, um, if you were to say, right, in the morning, our goal is, and I always say, in a single tweet, if you can say what you're training for. So mm -hmm. if somebody stops in the morning and they see that I've got my picnic on the side of the swimming pool and I'm swimming up and down 30K and they stop me and say, what are you training for, Ross? I have to be able in a sentence to answer them. And I can say, I'm drilling efficient biomechanics through the water aerobic fitness and my energy pathways done and they'll go oh wow that was pretty clear and concise i'm like yeah so my body knows what it's adapting to then if i've got enough adaptive energy in the afternoon i'll be then be able to possibly strength train and then if somebody stops me and says ross i see you're on the olympic lifting mat there ross what are you doing and i'll say i am training strength my body's ability to generate force clear and concise mm -hmm. that's Oh, okay. So by separating those workouts, you make each workout very clear, again, potency of the stimuli, but within that 24 hour period, you're also considering the body in its entirety. Again, going back to adaptive energy. If I didn't have enough adaptive energy, I wouldn't hit the weights in the afternoon because it wouldn't be conducive to my uh, goal in the first place, which is swimming based. So sorry, that was like, it was exactly the same with you guys there, that if it was like, okay, wait, wait, wait stop, Nick, what are you doing? Is that conducive to running an ultra marathon? Mm -hmm. No, then, then don't, don't do it. Sorry, that was a long winded no, answer. No, that's great. Again. Yeah. But you're also, you're, you're expanding your adaptive capacity, which is something you mm -hmm. talk about in the book a lot. Like, yeah, what, what, am, what am I doing? Uh, aside from all the specific skills you're developing, you're always training your ability to adapt and handle more. That's a great point. And I think that's certainly, that's what I love about CrossFit, um, the emphasis on work capacity. So your mm -hmm. body's ability to perform and positively tolerate training of a given intensity and duration. And I think what CrossFit has done is taken almost the Soviet principle of general physical preparedness and just applied it on this kind of mass scale. And that's why I love what, what CrossFit has really done. Because even if you don't compete at CrossFit, it will then allow you to have that work capacity to then later specialize. And I th yeah, I think it's exactly that. I, and I think the industry was slightly going towards um, minimalist training. A lot of people saying, and you, you'll know this, Nick, that, that people will say, 
oh, you know, I'm going to train for a, a, a fell run, a trail run, um, but I'm only going to do interval training. And it's just like, yeah, absolutely. Physiologically, you will see improvements in anaerobic and aerobic fitness, but there is no substitute for actually getting out on the mountains right. and drilling those motor patterns. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think, yeah, sorry, no, slight no, tangent. No, but that yeah. makes sense, yeah. And one, one interesting thing about um, the conversations we've had with Chris, Gethin, Chris Gethin about this uh, was that uh, unlike the way that you described where you, you know, you're practicing your sport, you're practicing that full body in the morning and then more specifically strength training in the afternoon, he liked to use strength training as a pre-exhaust before his endurance work as a way to kind of get more out of less volume. So before he'd go swimming, he'd do triceps and shoulders, and then he'd do a horrible, horrible leg workout before he went running or cycling. Mm-hmm. And he felt like that allowed him to kind of hack the uh, hack the amount of volume that most endurance athletes use. Um, and yeah, I was wondering if, you, if you've tried that approach or if you feel like, you know, I get up, I got to swim. If I'm going to do it with my Olympic lifting, it's hours later. Yeah, I... And that's what's really interesting as well, what Chris does, because a lot of these studies out there are done under quite controlled conditions. And I think if you manipulate those conditions exactly like Chris is doing, um, there's not there's on a lot of test subjects, for instance, to use Chris Geffen as an example, there just wouldn't be many test subjects like him. Like, where are you going to find <laughs> like, Ken Chris Geffen's? Like, you're just not. So that's why I love what he did and broadcast to the fitness community. And I think, you know, Alex Vaid is another one. Right. What they do is amazing. But they're not anomalies, but they're just quite unique test subjects. Um so to come back to, to your question about, I've, I have experimented with that, but my main goal would be because of the distances that I'm swimming, uh, movement efficiency. So to right. do them fatigued, and then if, if I did 30 kilometers fatigued, I would just be drilling worse and worse biomechanics. So for me, only because my goal is very slightly different to Chris's, Chris openly was like, I want to complete an Ironman and hold all this muscle mass. Whereas with me, I'm more in the school of thought, I'll let mother nature take care of my physiology. You know, so last year, um, swimming a hundred kilometers, uh, towing a hundred pound tree, I was by the end, I was like, I don't care how I look <laughs> as long as I finish. Um, so I, I suppose I'm slightly different in the conditions that I'm creating. Slightly, though, but you're still, uh, you know, well over 200 pounds and you still are a very muscular individual who is allergic to shirts by all appearances. I mean, let's (laughs) let's not. (laughs) I I, I didn't see any any shirts in there, but I I mean, it makes it it makes me wonder, though, like every every one of the athletes you interact with in the book, like, you you know, you have Andy Bolton in there, you have the Namibian Bushmen in there. They all have a different relationship with or a different portioning of muscle. And you yourself still look a little bit more like a bodybuilder than a, you know, a swimmer even, even a muscular swimmer. And I'm wondering what your relationship with muscle is like and how it's changed over time. Yeah, I, because I think um, I've never, I've never really been asked it like that, but that's, it's a good question. Only because um, I was a swimmer. um, So that was my first sport, um, but I was never going to make sort of Great Britain Olympic standard because um, as I was saying off air, you know, I am built like a hobbit. Mm-hmm. Um, so at 5'8", my coach just came over to me and was like, Ross, you know, unless you grow another like foot, basically, um, it's not going to happen for you. Uh, so I'm still waiting for my growth spurt. Um, it hasn't happened yet. Um, so they said, look, so why don't you try water polo instead? Um, so I then moved into water polo because I was 
I was always quite strong. Um, but at the age of 14, I was playing at senior level. Um, and I, I think it was in the south of France. We were playing in the Europeans. And I just got beaten up by, like, men. They were, like, fully developed. They had beards. And I just didn't stand a chance. So my coach was like, look, Ross, you need to get stronger to actually hold your own. Um, so that's when I started to, to strength train just to almost – well, both structural and functional strength training. So structural being muscular hypertrophy to actually, you know, actually develop more size, but also um, functional as well. So to actually just get stronger without adding more muscle mass because it was very, very important. I didn't add any more muscle mass than I actually needed. Mm-hmm. Um, and the other thing that I'm experimenting with now is I would argue, and, and actually I'd love to ask your opinion on this, uh, Nick and Heather, which is mm-hmm. I, at the moment, in weight-bearing sports where gravity is um, impacting, like running, mm-hmm. yes, absolutely, um, your relationship with gravity, so your weight, is going to be a hindrance if you're heavy. I mean, some of my friends who are fell runners, they bulk up to 65 kilos. Mm-hmm. I'm gonna, yeah, I'll, I'll answer that question. <laughs> Um, so I was a distance runner in high school and then I put on about 25 pounds of muscle to compete in bodybuilding and putting on that much muscle. I'm five foot nine, so I've got an inch on you, Um, (laughs) but I put on 25 pounds of muscle and I couldn't run anymore. Or at least I couldn't run with the same mechanics. So then people ask me, why don't you compete anymore? And I said, I don't want to keep the muscle that's going to prevent me from running because Mm. it, with what you're saying with the gravity based sports where you every pound of muscle is now a pound that you have to carry it does make a huge difference so i don't know if i I didn't let you finish your question but i was just going to jump in and kind of my personal experience with that because 25 pounds on a a five foot nine frame for a female is a lot of extra weight to carry and and for somebody who's a fell runner or something like that yeah it's both a bigger engine but also a trailer behind the truck either way there's a push and pull for it for sure literally like it's it's all back there and it's it's heavy to carry yeah, because they say that even adding one kg of additional weight, it's time to fatigue, lactic threshold, pulmonary ventilation, like biomechanics. It all changes just with one kg. So that's incredible, Heather. So did you? Where did you find it limiting you? Was it biomechanics? Were you fatiguing in the legs? Was it lactic threshold? Were you breathing harder? Where, where did you find it? It was literally the mechanics. Um, I, you know, I, I started out at 120 pounds and then I ballooned up to, I think my heaviest was 160 pounds at my heaviest. Right. And yeah. so that's actually a 40 pound difference. And yeah, yeah. so imagine that's like trying to run with a 40 pound vest on, which if it, you put a, if you put a vest on, it's, it's up on your torso, which your torso is designed to carry a lot of weight. But for me, I gained that weight in my legs more than anything. So now what's supposed to be propelling me is actually heavier. So physically moving those legs every single step was, was too heavy and I couldn't run with the same mechanics. Oh, really? So I had to change my stride. I had to change my cadence. I had to change how my foot hit the ground each time. And that... So now I run differently than I did in high school, but I don't run the way I did when I was competing in bodybuilding, if that makes sense. Like there's three three very distinct running styles for all those different weights. I'm right in the middle right now. I'm about 135. She's 220 pounds right now. <laughs> <laughs> 9% body fat. Yeah. So, and, and this brings up another point, which we kind of run into um, being bodybuilding.com and being very focused on a sport, which is aesthetic based. You know, everyone's trying to get big muscles that look good. 
And in my experience, and Ross, perhaps you can speak to this as well. In my experience, when someone trains for a performance-based goal, you know, I want to run a marathon, I want to lift 200 pounds, I want to, you know, whatever the performance is, it actually is a, and this is my experience, let me know what you what you think, it's a better driving force for doing those workouts because it's not based on how you look and feel, it's based on what you can do, yeah. if that makes sense. That's, so when you're, yeah. you know, when you're out working with these elite athletes, they're, you know, they are forced to be able to do things and it doesn't really matter what their body looks like. Half the time their body looks great, but it's because they have to perform. So what are your experiences I, yeah. with that? I completely agree. Only because I think aesthetics is um, so fluid. You could wake up in the morning um, holding a little bit more water retention. You might, you know, your sodium, potassium, like there's so many things that could impact how you look on any given day from the lighting in the mirror, if you go into a different mirror. And I think if you are extrinsically motivated like that, um, you'll be like, oh, what's the point? I've been training for two weeks and I look, I look awful, do you know? And I think by focusing on uh, quite often, you know, the, the bar doesn't lie. You know, so if you're going and you're, you know, trying to put up um, a bigger squat, bench, deadlift, and your goal is also, um, you know, holding more muscle mass, then yeah, inevitably you are going to induce muscular hypertrophy through mechanical tension. So the three ways to build muscle mass, mechanical tension, metabolic stress, muscle damage. And you are going to target one of those if you're just going into the gym and trying to move more weight on the bar. So I think you're so right, Heather. I think, and this, this starts to go down the rabbit hole of um, behavioral science and psychology as well. And I think it's only now that we're really looking at um, a, a friend of mine, John Keeley, says it brilliantly. He says, you know, too often we're trying to apply a, a simple mechanical solution to a complex biological reality. And what he means by that is we're trying to put our, this human body into, you know, like sets, reps, calories, weight schemes. And it's just like it doesn't doesn't work like that you have to understand the athlete or if you're training yourself like you said there Heather your motives um so I, I agree I mean what what do you think Nick have you found that as well well I don't know I mean I, I think one, one interesting thing about about you if we're talking about muscle here as well is uh, you you've written about how you think that um getting back to you know gravity sports versus versus swimming that having a larger muscle bound frame actually can provide a distinct advantage. So sort of blurring the lines here. We're not just talking about uh, hypertrophy for hypertrophy's sake anymore. It seems like you, you, you are coming around to the idea for your particular sport that it provides an advantage in the water. Yeah, yeah, and that is another, because I, and it's only just recently really, since immersing myself in um, triathlons, Ironman, and, and open water swimming, and so many of my training partners are incredible endurance athletes. And what I found is when we all start getting to the, you know, 20 kilometer mark during a swim, they are all just struggling. They can't hold efficient biomechanics. Um, a few of them said, I can't grip the water. My forearm's actually cramping. And we joke and they're saying swimming's a strength-based sport for some of them. And I'm like, really? Like, it's not that bad. And then it actually gets to the point where they're feeding as well. They're having to feed every, you know, 10 minutes, even less. Um, whereas being, you know, holding more muscle mass, you're inevitably going to hold more muscle glycogen as well. Um, so almost, and I liken myself to some of my friends, they're incredible swimmers. And I say they're like dolphins or sharks. They're rapid. They are quick. 
but in many ways I'm just like this tiny whale and although I won't necessarily go as quick when we start getting to 20 kilometers and they're just flagging and many of them dropping out I'm like I honestly feel like I'm just getting warmed up like this (laughs) and then some of them and this is sort of going down the rabbit hole of nutritional pathways as well but you know a lot of them as well I think this is purely anecdotal but um looking at bodybuilders you know and 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 heather maybe you can back me up on this um you can eat like i think when you probably put on those those 40 pounds did you find that your your appetite and your just your sort of eating patterns just completely changed they did and um with bodybuilding that's what most bodybuilders will complain of is that it's so hard to feed that muscle every single day and for me that's part of it is i i love to eat and even i can't eat enough to keep that kind of muscle on my frame and it gets in the way of training you know all of a sudden and this is why bodybuilders have to be so specific about when they eat when they train when they eat again and so i'm much more of a holistic approach i want i want to be able to live a life where i can you know hop down to the gym and work out but then kind of eat whenever i want and not have to have things so dialed in and so i think that to your point there is an advantage to having muscle i noticed the advantage to having muscle in pull-ups which is a gravity-based sport but mm. i didn't have the muscle mass to do pull-ups when I was 120 pounds, but even though I weigh 20 pounds more, so it should be harder for me to do pull-ups, I have the endurance to do pull-ups because I have the muscle, the strength, and the, like you said, the glycogen to support that. And yeah, same thing yeah. with, with running. Yes, I changed my cadence, but I don't, my legs don't get sore or tired the way they used to. It's a different way, but yeah. yeah. You know, wow. So and things change. I think so. I, I mean, Nick, and coming from your sport, do you find, and I'm always so interested in it, do you find that Sometimes the best runners, and I've seen it time and again with people getting it wrong at Kona, you know, there are better athletes, but their nutritional strategies were all wrong. Do you find that sometimes the guy that wins an ultra race will be the best at eating, not necessarily the best at running? You know, ultra races are, they're, they're a hard one because, um, I think there are, there are a lot of complete freaks in, in that, uh, in that particular discipline. And then, then there are also just people who are willing to, get as close as possible to dying. Um, right. you know, I, so, and, and that's, that's a skill in itself. Like how far are you willing to go? I, I, like, I, I don't do particular, particularly long races. I like to, you know, somewhere in the 20 to 25 miles and to take my time nice and slow. But I did a race, um, uh, last year where there were a bunch of hundred milers who were finishing at the same time as, as I did. And I remember looking at them as they were crossing the finish line. And I was like, this is amazing. These people, they're 65, 70 years old and they just ran a hundred mile race. I'm so proud of them. And then I looked at the results and they're all like 28, 35 five years old and you know they're coming across the finish line and this one guy was bright bright yellow and I thought oh my god his his liver is failing he was out there for two nights without sleep and I thought you know I mean yeah clearly he has his nutrition dialed in in order to be able to finish half half the field didn't finish this race but um but his primary advantage seemed to be that he was willing to die out there if necessary and I think he won you know so those those people those people are different. I mean, muscle is I feel like a, a real advantage in those sorts of events, though. Um, depending on where you put it, because yeah. the thing that uh, is the most inefficient about runners and anybody who's ever watched, you know, the last five miles of a marathon can can attest to this is their posture is just horrible. They're mm-hmm. collapsed. They're collapsed forward, and um, and the more the more muscle you can add in your postural muscles, I feel like the better, yes. right? So it's all it's all about where you put it. 
um, you know, in terms of leg training and things like that, yeah, it's really hard. I, I see the same things you see where people, you know, they're just busting these horrible interval, interval workouts thinking it's going to make them faster somehow. Whereas if they just did some strategic strength training in their posture, they would be so much more efficient. And that's what you're ultimately talking about is efficiency. Is exactly it, yeah. And I think, and just touching upon that as well, what I love about ultras is if we all lined up against Usain Bolt, 10 times out of 10, he would beat us, you know, on a 100 meter race. There's not really an awful lot that we could do. Genetically, he is just superior. But what is so interesting I found about an ultra is there's so many different variables Mm -hmm. and things just go right or wrong. And and like you said, mental fortitude, like you you can't measure it. But ultimately, that is going to be one of the determining factors, even though it's completely subjective and you can't measure it. Um, and yeah, and, and even postural muscles, exactly what you just said as well. You know, things like that, ligaments, tendons, biomechanics, you know, that, to the untrained eye, you're like, I, I don't understand why that guy's won. You know, but to the trained eye, you can go, yeah, because his, his movement efficiency was incredible. You know, and, and I'm going off on again on a little bit of a tangent, but I'm so excited right now. I think we're on the cusp mm-hmm. of two hour marathon. And I, and I want to I can't wait to see it done because I'll, I want to look back and see why is it that we couldn't do that for so long? I mean, you know, Roger Bannister, first guy to run of the four minute right. mile, they said at the time, you know, leading physician said a human cannot run under a four minute mile, his lungs will explode. And Roger Bannister was actually a medical student himself at the time and just said, well, no, you know, I disagree, you know, laced up his trainers and, and the rest is history. But once he broke the four minute mile, there was some crazy fact that over the next three months, like you know, something like yeah. 10 yeah, loads of people just went under that, that mm-hmm. form. What was you know previously seen was impossible. Once somebody did it, it was just kind of like the floodgates opened, central governor theory. Mm-hmm. All of a sudden, like, athletes were like, oh, it is possible. So all of a sudden, they lifted that physiological handbrake. And, and, and that's what I find so interesting in every single sport even strength training as well, you know, I, I think it's so – anyone who's lifted will know as soon as you unrack the bar and you're squatting, if you tell yourself you've not got it, that's very powerful. Neurologically, something's going on and your body's just going, wow, no, you know, this this isn't going to happen. Sure. Uh, so bench – same with the deadlift. If, if you just like lift it and you think that's cemented to the floor, like this, that it's not going to come off the floor. And so, yeah, it's just, yeah. I, I find it amazing. And I think we're only scratching the surface on, you know, that kind of mind body connection. Now to bring it back to swimming for a second though, one, one disadvantage that I've been told about muscle in the water, I mean, there's a lot of the great swimmers have a slightly higher level of body fat because otherwise they find that they just sink like a stone. That was the first thing Chris Gethin told us after his first swim. He said, oh my God, I had no, I, I didn't anticipate that at all. I went out there and I had to work harder because otherwise I was going to sink to the bottom of the damn pool. Um, yeah. do, you, do you find that you, uh, that you can actually um, float fairly efficiently, effectively or are, do you sink to the bottom? Or is that one reason why you like to attach yourself to logs is because it gives you a little buoyancy? <laughs> Yeah, no. So right now I am eating quite a lot. I I do want a little bit of body fat, you know, some sort of buoyant body fat would be a good thing. Um, Because I do I had so I had a a body scan um, before I embarked on my 100 kilometer swim. And um, they they just said they just sat me down and said, Ross, you have no physical attributes to be a swimmer. Uh, (laughs) They said you have more muscle mass, less body fat. And then even get this, they said, um, you have a big head. 
And I was like, well, no, I know I have a big head. And they were like, dense skull. So, like, you are just torpedoing down to the ocean bed. <laughs> to the floor. Exactly. But they said, and I'm sitting there with my head in my hands going, well, this is awful news. And they said, we have some good news, Ross, though. There is a saving grace. And I was like, fantastic. Please tell me. And they said, you have nice, shapely, womanly hips. Um, so apparently I hold a lot of my fat around my legs and my bum. We <laughs> um, did not tell you that, did they? <laughs> yeah, no, genuinely. Yeah, I, I will send you the link. on. Uh, I think it's still on um, on YouTube, on, on the Red Bull documentary. But yeah, he says, you have nice womanly hips. The, was, the, was the word shapely in there? I like yeah, that. the That's shapely a good word. is the best part of that word. Yeah, the, I oh think it might have been. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, and I, I highly recommend this, uh, mm-hmm. the Red Bull video series, Strong Men Swimming, yes. that they do with you. It's fantastic. Mm-hmm. Um, oh. And especially because nothing, you know, if, if you look in the book, nothing could be further from working with Bushmen or Andy Bolton, the first man to deadlift a thousand pounds, than swimming, pulling a log. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I'm wondering how, how you arrive, like I, I um, some people may know you for the triathlon where you did a, a tri- triathlon with a tree carrying it. But how did you arrive at swimming as the arena where you thought like, okay, this is, this is really where I want to push the limits in particular? Yeah. So it's quite a long story. I'm going to try and keep it as short as possible. I suppose it all started with the, um, the world's strongest marathon, as the media called it, where I uh, ran a marathon uh, pulling a 1.4 ton car around Silverstone race circuit to raise money for the Teenage Cancer Trust. Um, so we did it. It took ages, it took me 19 hours um, and I finally did it. After that, everyone was like, oh, Ross is really good at doing like long, long distances with heavy things. <laughs> I was like, right, okay, it's a weird skill set, but I'll take it. And then um, Nevis, which is a Caribbean island, very, very small, um, has ambitions to become the world's first carbon neutral island. Um, so they said, look, we have an annual triathlon. Why don't you come out here and, and pull something or carry something heavy to raise awareness and, and money for a lot of our eco-friendly projects? Somebody said a tree, I said a triathlon, and so then I put myself into doing a triathlon. <laughs> so, so it's all just a pun. The whole thing came out of a pun, then, basically. <laughs> yeah. Okay, yeah. we can and relate to that. That's can, <laughs> I, I, now you're speaking our language. Unfortunately, <laughs> we find ourselves to be very punny. <laughs> good. I mean, good company. So yeah, it was after that. I mean, it was during the triathlon, and I, I at the start line. Um, was speaking to my friends and, and, and my girlfriend. She was like, don't do anything stupid. I was like, I won't. And she was like, I know what you're like. You're going to race. I was like, I promise I won't. And I stood at the back to allow everybody, because there were some genuine you know, racers there, some real athletes, and I didn't want to get in their way with my tree. So I hung back. But then, like, I'm not going to lie, as soon as the gun went, I was like, oh, this is on. So I went sprinting with my tree <laughs> into the water. And I actually came out of the water in a decent position. Um, overtook many people in the water with the tree. Um, and, and afterwards, uh, Kerry Ann Payne, a friend of mine who's the double uh, world champion, uh, 10K, um, she said, like, you're weirdly quick with a tree. <laughs> and I said, no, I know, right? <laughs> and she said, look, why don't we just see how far you can do it? So, so then to sum up, I said, great. And I wanted to swim the English channel, um, pulling a tree. I rung up the English channel. And I always say, I wish I'd recorded this conversation. And I was like, it was the, the port authority. And I said, hello, it's, it's Ross here. I want to swim across the English channel. And they said, that's, that's fine. Um, we'll send you the paperwork. I said, fantastic. Um, just one small point. Um, I, I want to do it towing a tree. And they said, um, well, you're not allowed. And I said, why not? And they said, because you're not a registered vessel. And I 
To which I replied, I said, well, how do I become a registered vessel then? And then they hung up the phone on me. You need more, so, you need more muscle mass. You need, you need to be a little bit heavier in order to be a registered vessel. Right. So, so that was when um, the Caribbean uh, Tourism Board and, and, and St. Lucia heard about this and they said, look, we've got two islands. Why don't you come and swim between these? So that was the weird way that that all came about. So, yeah. Okay. So you still haven't gone to swim the channel with the tree? That's, that hasn't happened yet? Nope. Okay. No, but, uh, but now, now when, when, in, in the book, one great line that you have about the triathlon is that uh, riding a bike while pulling it was like the greatest ab workout ever invented, you said, right? Which made sense to me. It's like a, that's like a loaded carry. Um, but how, how is swimming different in what the, the, lo- the log actually imposes on you physically? Yeah, purely, I think, like swimmers and sailors and anybody in the water, um, they spend you know, thousands, millions of pounds, certainly the sailors on their boats to reduce drag. You know, they want to travel through the water as efficiently as possible. And I'm doing the exact opposite. So I'm saying I'm going to tie a massive piece of wood to my trunks. So it was purely in terms of resistance, um, time to fatigue, lactic threshold. So that burning sensation in my shoulders, my shoulders would blow up so much quicker and easier and feeding as well, feeding strategies. So that's, that's purely all it was really is just like adding resistance in the form of a giant lump of wood, basically. Okay. <laughs> so now, you so, have something yeah. to pull against. And that can be its Sorry, own what, kind of challenge. What, <laughs> Well, I mean, because kind of going back to what you were talking about, looking at the bottom of the pool and it's very, very boring. And, you know, if, if all you're focusing on is just trying to be as efficient as possible and that can get very, very dull for the mind. But then all of a sudden, if now you have an added element of you have to pull this tree, then and an irregular and, tree. And, and kind of, you know, to to a lot of what you talk about with overloading, you're you're kind of overloading your mental system at that point because you have a new challenge on top of that. And in many ways, that can be a refreshing thing for the brain to have and for your body to have is like, oh, okay, well, now I have this different challenge that can distract me from the real challenge, which is just swimming. Am I making any sense? <laughs> Do you know what, Heather? You, you're the first person to say that, but you're... I, you're absolutely right. So when I was swimming, um, we were training for it. If a wave kind of caught the tree, it would almost act like a bungee cord. So I would get like a real sharp pull on my trunks. And then I know at that point that I have a hundred pounds of wood coming at my feet like a torpedo. And so it was like keeping me preoccupied because I'd be like, okay, best case scenario right now is it disappears past my shoulder. Worst case scenario is it goes into my shins or, and it did on a few occasions, hit my feet and basically just took the toenail clean off. Um, So yeah, so it was kind of knowing like this, like a tug of war just across the Caribbean Sea with a tree. Mm-hmm. So it was weirdly, I don't want to say it kept me company because that sounds odd, but there was this element of like, well, at least I'm not alone doing this. No. And that was, that was a question that I had as well is yeah. Um, how, how intimate do you get with your, with your log? <laughs> I mean, that's an, it's an odd question perhaps, but uh, do you find that you spend time with it, name it, talk to it, anything like that? Yeah, no. So when, when we in in Saint Lucia, we finished there. It was uh, it almost became a celebrity out there, and certainly the same in Nevis. And um, even now, people out in in uh, Nevis, they'll take pictures with the tree because it's at one of the beaches um, down there, and there's a hotel on the beach. So people will turn up and say, "Is this where the triathlon was?" And uh, I sometimes just get tagged in 
in a picture. So, so the tree's out there. He seems to be doing well. Uh, he's retired and just seems to get like, yeah, everyone, everyone's just he's there. Just on the riding beach your like coattails a- now. <laughs> exactly. Riding your trunks. Um, now, did did you did you have a lot of planning going into that? Did, was there a lineup of logs, or did you just walk out there and pick one though? Yeah, now this is important just because like some, and, and I became an expert in trees uh, inadvertently throughout the year. But if you take certain that there, uh, certain trees are a lot more absorbent. So there was that element. So you, if you were, you know, 10K out and that tree had all of a sudden absorbed all the water, it was basically going down with you attached to it. Um, and then other trees as well, just, just really not very efficient through the water. Um, so yeah, you. But it was just. I think it came down. You'd have to pick a tree. and needed to just feel right. You'd go, okay, we've got a connection, <laughs> and we just set sail. Yeah. Um, now, now it, to to take this to another level, you were telling me in an email the other day about your next challenge. You're taking strongman swimming to yet another um, distance extreme. Right. This is a little closer to home for you, though. You're not having to go out in the Caribbean for this one. So what's your, what's your next challenge? It is, yes. Um, when does this air, by the way? I'm wondering when people will hear about this. I don't know whether I'll be doing it at the time or still setting uh, sail. Probably in the next couple of weeks, actually. So I might, I'll probably be on my merry way by then. Okay, <laughs> so, yeah. We Well, you know, let's say next Monday. We're going to put this thing out next Monday. <laughs> okay, okay, okay. I might still be here then. But you're right. Um, coming back from, well, so, so this, this is again, how it came about. So I did the, the 48 hour swim with the Royal Marines. Um, I just wanted to see how far I could swim in 48 hours. Um, after that I was with the Royal Marines and I was in the officer's mess, which is this kind of like grand room where they, you know, all sit down and discuss matters. And I came in, I had trench foot because I'd been in the water so long, um, (laughs) And one of the officers over there, amazing mustache, and he's just like this old English Royal Marine, and he just says, uh, what are you doing? I said, I've just finished a 48-hour swim. Um, just wanted to see how far I could swim. And he goes, why are you doing that? I said, I, I want to train for the world's longest current neutral swim. And uh, he just said, that sounds a bit crap. And I was like, what do you mean? He goes, it just sounds a bit long-winded. It just doesn't sound very good. And I said, well, what do you propose I do then? And uh, he sat there and he considered his options, drunk his tea. And he turned to me and he says, do you know what you need to do? I said, go on. He says, you just need to man up and and swim around Great Britain. That's what you need to do. So I was like, fine. All right. So I, Well, fine oh, then. I'll right. do it. <laughs> <laughs> so I was like, all right, fine. And we've sort of floated the idea with a few people the sailing community has been amazing and uh yeah the support was incredible and i think they were like yeah we want to see that done as well um so in a few weeks or depending on when you're listening to this i will probably be attempting to become the first person to swim all the way around great britain (laughs) is the plan what distance is that how far is that so well yeah so it completely depends on the route and And the currents right yeah, a lot of this. So it could be as little as 3,000 kilometers. It could be as much as five to 6,000 kilometers, you know. So I, either way, it's going to be a long time, but it works out roughly. This is kind of best case scenario. And in theory, it works out 50 kilometers a day um, for 100 days, never touching shore. Never so, touching shore. Yeah. Okay. So the trench foot will uh, yeah. be a possibility during that as well, I'm imagining. Oh, yeah, 100%. If I don't get trench 
but I'll consider this a success. <laughs> We're going to have this, to have you back on to see how this all went. <laughs> yeah. Well, this is it. I, I, I think what's great about this is um, for everything that we talk about, there's quite often a blueprint. So you can throw around ideas, speak to people who have done it before, or, you know, even merge ideas if you're, you know, sort of bodybuilding like Chris Gethin, but want to go into Ironman, you can just merge the two worlds. Whereas with this, I've been speaking to everyone from sailors, swimmers, and, and everyone's just like, I just don't know what will happen. Like the human body's not meant to be in the water for a hundred days, mm-hmm. swimming decay a day. So salt mouth where your, your tongue basically and throat swells up from, um, from exposure to the salt water, um, from abrasions and, and mm-hmm. chafing <clears throat> from the wetsuit as well. Um, this is just, yeah, even hypothermia. So if I, even if I set off at June, um, the English summer doesn't tend to last that long. So I need to get around to Scotland where the Highlands in pretty good time, at least by August or September. Otherwise you're looking at temperatures. Well, I mean, I was in Glasgow, um, two months ago and I was swimming in a canal there and it was two degrees. Mm. So, yeah. yeah so I don't want to be doing that. Basically. No, no. No, no. When you um, uh, when you were swimming in the Caribbean, you you, uh, you did not like you you had to be pulled out of the water ultimately there not to ruin the the video for everybody. I was wondering what uh, um, <laughs> uh, I was wondering what 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 that what that experience what you learned from that that you think you can apply here for swimming an even greater distance or greater amount of time. Yeah, I think uh, going back to what you said, Nick, about the um, sometimes an athlete's um, sort of superpower is just their ability to to really take it to you know well you like you said when they're prepared to die mm-hmm. i'm not saying i'm prepared to die. that's not what i'm saying at all but all i'm saying is um certainly when i got on the boat having swum 100 kilometers and like nick said not to spoil it for anyone who hasn't seen it but um it was a 40 kilometer swim from martinique to saint lucia uh, and i swum twice over 100 kilometers and still didn't touch the beach because the currents were so bad so although i overswam, i still didn't make it um and when they pulled me out i was i was seeing stars you know completely depleted of muscle glycogen um i was eating so much but my body just wasn't basically absorbing it wasn't assimilating all the food that i was eating um and it was i'm not going to say it was nice to take it to that point but even when i was on the boat the doctor was sort of shining a light in my eye and i just i couldn't really see it um and i was at that point just like oh okay (laughs) this is what it feels like to really take it a bit too far um and so it's not you know i'm not saying it's nice but i know I can push it that far, but let's not take it that far because I've got a hundred days of this. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so it's like, it's nice to know where that, that, that point is. And my job for a hundred days will be to play with that sort of getting as close to it as I can, um, without overdoing it. Okay. And I think that's, that sounds like not more of a challenge than the swimming part. Yeah. Do you know what heavy you're right? I think the whole thing about this is really, it's like, the body is inevitably going to break down. You know, you make peace with that fact that over a hundred days, I'm going to come back looking like, you know, someone from Castaway. And once you've made peace with that fact, it's just about nursing the body and just trying to get it all the way around the coast of Great Britain. That's, 
that's the, that's my job really it's not necessarily the swimming the, a successful swim will be a byproduct of efficient feeding strategies prehab rehab sleeping correctly um taking care of any wounds abrasions chafing salt mouth it, you know the swim will be a byproduct of doing all of that right um basically so it's, it's really not the, the swimming is not even the hard part in a weird way Mm-hmm. Uh, have well. have you had to just dramatically change your training in order to be, to, uh, to build up to this, or um, or I mean, yeah, comp- compared to the training that you did for swimming around St. Louis to St. Lucia, how how different and how different was the volume, or is it different? Yeah, I mean, I, I think the reason I probably spoke so much and we spoke so much about the mental aspect is because. Yeah, looking at strength and conditioning, you know, said principle, specific adaptation to imposed demands, that if you want to get good at running, go and run. If you want to get good at biking, go and bike. There is no substitute to actually just doing the mileage. Um, But there does become a point where you know how to run, you know how to swim, you know how to cycle. And that's not going to be the determining factor. It's really going to be about if you want it enough. And, and that's why we've spoke, I think, so much about the man, the mental aspect, because that's really what this will come down to. So, for instance, the the tide changes every six hours. So in theory and weather dependent, I will have two six hour periods to swim every single day. Now, that doesn't matter if it's two o'clock in the morning, uh, seven o'clock in the morning or if it's beautiful at one in the afternoon and the sun shining. If you don't get in and swim for those six hours, that is a period lost, you know, and in six hours with the tide with you as well, you can be clocking, you know, 30 to 50 to 60 kilometers if you're, if you're prepared to swim during those six hours. Mm-hmm. So that, that's why I talk about in terms of training, I mean, cause even looking at, and what I've talked about there is almost biphasic sleep as well. So, you know, sleeping twice in a day for shorter periods, um, and that you, you can't really train for and, it's not even like I could start training now for those 50 kilometers a day because going into it, there'd be no concept of tapering and periodization. And so a lot of this is, um, and I forget the name of the author now, but um, he said that one of my favorite quotes is, is jump and build your wings on the way down. And I think with this, that's certainly the case that it's just, uh, it's just a case. Or, or, or like to use a sporting example, um, the Tour de France they will use the early stages of the Tour de France to actually condition their body for the latter stages. Um, and I think this is probably, hopefully, fingers crossed, touch wood, going to be the same in theory. Now, speaking of touching wood, just to be clear, are you, pull, are you pulling a log around Great Britain or is this just you this time? <laughs> no, we're leaving the tree for this one. Okay. No, he gets to come on the next trip. <laughs> <laughs> okay, because I because I had this I, because I, I know that you've you've talked to the BBC about this as well, and I just had this image of David Attenborough narrating you snuggling with the log in the middle of the ocean, in the middle of the night. I thought, what a fantastic vision that is. Oh, no, no, yeah, no tree for this one. So, like I said, Damn I it. think it was. No, oh no. <laughs> It felt it felt right to leave him in in the Caribbean and you know do this one solo. I think. I guess so, yeah. I guess it's just a good thing that I wasn't that drunken marine in the in the room at that point. Where I'm like, okay. you what you gotta do? You would have dared to swim around <laughs> something bigger than Great <laughs> <laughs> Oh my goodness. Okay, so while you, while you're gone, your your book, uh, the world's fittest book, is actually going to come out in the United States as well. Um, so. 
So we should talk about that a little bit in, in case you uh, aren't in any shape to talk to us for a while after this. Twin. Yes, I want to I want to talk to you after you finish this trip and see how you're doing. But um... I mean, it's a, it's a, so I, I read I read the entire thing. I really appreciate you sending me an advanced copy. And um, it's it's totally fascinating because you you talk about it throughout it like it's a project that you were chipping away at for 10 years. Like it, it was a 10 year journey that you were actually you actually had in mind kind of from the start. I and mean, it feels a little bit like Born to Run and books like that, where mm-hmm. it's like, all right, I'm going to try to touch as many things as possible, learn as much as possible. So tell me, tell me what vision you had for this thing at the start versus at the end, because it's really hard to uh, it's hard to imagine you 10 years ago saying, you know where this is going to end? It's going to end with me <laughs> pulling a log through the water. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it almost happened by accident. So, I I mean, I I should probably start by saying, you know, the world's fittest book, the the title was really a a testament to the people who helped create it. So, you know, Andy Bolton, Dorian Yates, Linford Christie, you know, all of these guys, it was really a, a testament to them. Um, rather than sort of saying, oh, I'm the world's fittest writer or right. anything. It wasn't that. And it was really exactly that, that I never intended. It was really my training journal and my travel journal. Mm-hmm. Um, but when I was fortunate enough to train with, you know, Andy Bolton, so for those who don't know, um, you know, seven-time world powerlifting champion, first guy to deadlift a thousand pounds, I was deadlifting with him up in Leeds. And I noticed before every lift, he'd perform these kind of knee bends, before he'd lift the bar. And I was, and I was like, Andy, what, what, what are you doing there? We got talking and he started to talk about how he was applying Verkashansky's principle of the depth jump. So for those who don't know, uh, Verkashansky, uh, Soviet Union strength and conditioning coach, found that if you are performing your box jumps, um, he found that by dropping off a platform, landing, storing that kinetic energy, so there's an eccentric contraction in the legs, you then store that elastic energy and there is a higher, more powerful concentric contraction in the legs. Basically, by jump, jumping off a box, landing, and then jumping, you can jump higher. So I was like, okay. So I was chatting to Andy. I was like, so is that what you're doing there? You're loading up you know, the legs, eccentric contractions or stretching or bending your knees, whatever you want to call it, and then deadlifting, you're performing a more powerful concentric contraction. So the bar basically lifts off the ground and you become the first man to deadlift a thousand pounds. And he was like, well, yeah, not as you know verbose and in-depth as that, but yeah. So I was like, well, hang on. So that's amazing. You're the, at the time, you are the strongest human to ever live, but you've done it using speed principles. And he was like, yeah, I never thought about it like that. Then I was at Brunel University, and I, again, I was fortunate enough to, to train with Linford Christie, um, who uh, I think still to this day is the oldest 100-meter Olympic champion. And when we were in the gym, void, void of the track, he was repping 160 kilos on the bench press for like five reps, perfect technique. And I was like, well, hang on. You are one of the fastest humans to ever live, but you are repping 160 that a power lifter would be jealous of. So what are you doing now? Are you a strength athlete or are you a speed athlete? And then this evolved even more when I started to then live with the, you know, fell runners up in the north of England. And I started to look at their descents and I was like, well, hang on, running is just, it's just a body weight exercise. You're putting three times your own body weight through each foot, probably even more on a, on a really steep descent. So your control of your, your, your body weight, proprioception, kinesthetic awareness, ligament tendon strength is unbelievable. So hang on, are you, are you now a strength athlete or you're an endurance athlete? Uh, do you know, so it, I kind of sat there, I was like, well, the lines are becoming completely blurred. And so the book really started as, as my journey to just say, how could you build the perfect human? 
like you know this kind of idea of human optimization as i imagine taking the principles of the fell runners of england combining that with the strength athletes like andy bolton the speed athletes like linford christie and it, i just started writing and after 10 years putting all of these teachings into one book i was like oh wow that's that kind of is a, a user's guide for your body mm-hmm. if you were to take any athlete and build them from the ground up that is how i would do it right yeah, so, that's, yeah that's when your tagline is your here's your user guide your body's first complete user guide and that's and that's one thing that's really that. interesting about the book is uh, you know yeah you have these great anecdotes these great stories with all these different people um but then there are also a number of programs in there um you know there's sort of like the the ultimate do this first before you do anything sport specific one which i thought was a really fascinating program um, but I was wondering what you what you hope somebody gets out of those, right? Because you've you've done both very specific training and you know s- styles of training where you're doing a lot of different things at the same time. How do you what, what do you uh, what do you hope somebody gets from those from those programs in particular? Yeah, I from the book I felt that, and, and it's been so nice here in England um, seeing the reaction. Uh, Mel Sif, so who wrote uh, Super Training with Verkashansky, he talked about how uh, the fitness industry is slightly becoming like a fat, fast food fitness industry. So we're we're being sort of fed, um, you know, these quick fixes and magic diet pills. Um, and he was like, in reality, we need to just empower people. It's not. It's quite often. It's not the answer people want to hear um, because they want to believe in quick fixes and, and magic diet plans, but. They just don't exist. And that's one thing with the book. Um, I I say, look, you know, so much of what is in here, we've known for thousands of years. Um, I'm just the one to try and put it into a cohesive conceptual framework. Uh, Michael Foucault, a French theologian, says, you know, I'm no guru. Uh, my, My job is to make windows where there were once walls. And so what I wanted people to get from this is for them to be empowered themselves to be their own personal trainer, their own nutritionist. Um, Ralph Waldo Emerson as well, he had such an impact on this. And and one of my favorite quotes of his is, if you teach a man principles, he can create his own methods. And I think so often in the fitness industry, we're taught methods. So I want to increase muscle mass. And people will say, oh, you want five by five, you want German volume training. You know, all of those are valid, but they're methods. Whereas if you actually teach principles of muscular hypertrophy, mechanical tension, metabolic stress, muscle damage, you can start to create your own methods. You can create your own programs. And a lot of people have even said, you know, I'm not an elite athlete. I'm not looking to, you know, swim 100 kilometers with a tree attached to my trunk. So I'm like, no, 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 you don't have to. If anything, I think the book is just as valuable for, um, you know, a a mom or dad who's just uh, got a family because, their time is so precious and in the gym they need to be so specific again going back to robert hickson on a cellular level they need to be so specific about what adaptation they want um or if something goes wrong that week if they you know if they've got to take the kids to school and and all of a sudden or they didn't sleep that night and all of a sudden because of lack of sleep you know ghrelin and leptin the hormones in the stomach they're completely out of whack and they find that you know they're reaching for the ice cream and and the cookie jar and they don't quite understand why well no because of the world's fittest book you're empowered to understand principles so you understand why you're inevitably reaching for the ice cream the chocolate bars Mm -hmm. and so you're empowered um is essentially it okay what i would 
Yeah. Now, now, one thing that I found was really interesting about about the training programs in the book is that they're all variations of upper lower splits or push pull lower body splits. Even even the the uh, the general physical preparedness GPP program. And I was wondering what that what that arrangement of training versus full body training for athletes. What you, what you feel like that what advantage that offers to people and and to you uh, to, to teach these methods. Yeah, I I found we just for the for the sake of simplicity, and we explain all of the principles, and then we say, but this is how I would put it into a workout. So that that biomechanical um, drops, uh, biomechanical um, split set seemed like the most obvious way to really describe it. However, with things like also as well, because again, going back to adaptive energy, looking at just three days per week of strength training. If you were a runner, if you were a swimmer or a cyclist, it then would allow you to really spend the majority of your time, the majority of your adaptive energy, and the majority of the volume of your training on the sport that you specifically want to do. Um, and I think that's why we went for those types of programs. Um, and I say we because Andy Bolton was a huge help on the the strength aspect. He, he trains a lot of strength athletes, but also as well, people coming to him saying, I want to be stronger, but this is actually my sport. I'm a football player. I'm a rugby player. So you have to really consider that sometimes strength training, like a lot of the workouts in the book, can be brilliant on their own. If that's the only workout you want to do, you just want a strength workout. But if it's supplementary to your other goals, your other sports, it can also be used like that as well. Mm-hmm. Okay. Oh, I was going to say, I um, when when Nick first handed me this book, I thought it was very bold of you to put the world's fittest book on the cover, and then after reading it, I get where you're coming from with that. So, um, but I do, I I, I do think a, a a very apt subtitle would be the world's best adventure book because you travel all over the world, you meet all these amazing people, and you get to really kind of take their knowledge and distill it down into this. I mean, it's not a short book, but you know, you really get to the point on everything, and then. Also, I read it in the day. Yeah, I'll, yeah, I'll put that out there. Show, wow, show off. <laughs> He's just showing off. Um, but then the other thing that I really appreciate is you take all these these sayings and these adages and these quotes that we've heard before, and then applying them to fitness in this way. Because really, that's something that's universal for people, and uh, you know anybody can can relate to wanting to feel better, feel stronger you know, run faster. And so, you know, just taking just that Emerson quote and actually applying it to how you treat your body is such a powerful message. And yeah. the book actually starts with talking about Ralph Waldo Emerson. It doesn't start with Sif and Verkanshansky yeah, and Selye. It starts I, with I, Ralph I Waldo Emerson. I expected to open it up and see a bunch of, you know, weights and dumbbells. And I, I open it up and there, we're talking about great writers. And I'm like, wait a second, what? <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, I, I, that's, a, that's a good point. What, what do you feel like reading philosophy? Um, really, where does that resonate with fitness for you? Obviously, the two are part of the same conversation. Yeah. Firstly, that's so, you really have it. That's so sweet of you guys. Thank you. <laughs> Honestly, I get a bit, not like, I'm not choked up, but I think because it was 10 years of writing. So when I actually put it out there, I'm still nervous. And obviously having listened to you guys in the podcast, I was so nervous sending you a copy. <laughs> so we're, like, not, we're not going to have you on if we scary. don't read it. <laughs> <laughs> but no, that's, that is really sweet. But um, no, yeah, I, I think, um, I think, uh, I almost call it fitness philosophy because I think, you know, we have to uh, really just question everything. And it's almost like this physiological intuition that you should just constantly ask questions, not just about the book, not just about studies, but your own body as well, your own knowledge. Like um, the whole sort of book evolved from 
um, the quote that I quite often say that, you know, we, um, there are many ways to get fitter, stronger, leaner, don't discriminate against any or favor one. As soon as you do, you close your mind and limit your potential. And I think that almost goes back to Bruce Lee in that Bruce Lee at the time sat there and was like, well, hang on, you know, what is the best martial arts? Like what is the best sort of human combat sport because boxing only uses your hands and then you've got jujitsu where it's wrestling you've got greco wrestling you've got kickboxing and that was where he started to experiment with jeet kune do which really is mma today like he was an absolute pioneer of that movement and seeing how mma is involved has been incredible and i think uh, and again, sorry, I'm going off on a tangent, but Nassim Taleb, one of my favorite authors, um, nothing to do with fitness as well. Um, he's an economist, but he said, and it, I love his quote, which is, you know, as humans facing limited knowledge, always resort to prescribed ideas and narratives. And what I mean by that, or what I took that from that to mean to fitness is with limited knowledge, these prescribed ideas and narratives is we can look at people and go, oh, he's a big guy. He's a bodybuilder. Oh, look at that guy. He's, he's quite skinny. He must be a runner. But really, like we're all human and the body is so much more powerful than that. And what I almost wanted to do with the the book is just to get like everybody speaking like Bruce Lee, I think, wanted to do with martial arts. I wanted to do with fitness. I would love it if, you know, ultra runners are no longer scared to go and, you know, chat to the powerlifters and hang out in the squat rack. And equally, you know, powerlifters and bodybuilders won't be scared to go and run an ultra marathon or not necessarily an ultra marathon, even just a five or a 10K in fear that their muscles will waste away, you know. And I, it sounds quite, I don't know what the right word is here, but like this utopia I want to live in that is just where like, you know, all everybody, because we're all just trying to optimize our, you know, the body that we've been given. And it would be amazing if we all start thinking rather than, and I think, you know, not to go down this rabbit hole, I think at the moment, sometimes it's like, oh, the bodybuilders don't speak to the powerlifters, who don't speak to the crossfitters, who don't speak to the swimmers, who don't speak to, and it's like, you know, we're all, we're all one, you know? <laughs> Yeah. Well, that makes perfect sense. And I think the, the internet has allowed um, all of these people who feel limited by those groups when you're in the gym and you think, oh, God, I can't talk to that person. Those people are out there finding one another. And, you know, yeah. um, and, and oddly, I've been reading a lot of, uh, do you know who Percy Cerruti is? He was an Australian running coach in the, uh, in the mid 20th century. He was, he was huge on strength training. This is back in the 40s, 50s, 60s, right? And yeah, there, there, there have been people throughout history who really just, they looked at it and said, this makes no sense to think one way or the other. They, there's so many benefits to be had uh, for, yeah. from all styles of training. Yeah, that's it. I mean, I'm a massive fan to talk about running like uh, Emil Zatopek, um, you know, arguably the greatest endurance runner ever. And, um, you know, some of his training like is 100, uh, 400 meter sprints, Ugh. you know, just obscene. So he, I mean, he pioneered interval training, but you're absolutely right, Nick. Every now and then, I love that you get an athlete or a coach or somebody who just thinks completely differently and just says like, do you know what? I'm going to rip up the rule book on, you know, overtraining. And, and that's exactly what Emil Zatopek did. And, and look what he achieved. Mm -hmm. And I think one of the best things will be, or the biggest compliment I get when people have read the book is, People say, oh, it's inspired my own journey. I'm now thinking differently about my training. And I think if, if I was to get a message in a few months or a few years to say, oh, I, I read your book, it inspired me to do something different. And, you know, I've just set a, a world record or or even just a personal achievement. I'll be like, do you know what? It was worth writing. Sure. 
years. Last night, I'll I'll add that it inspired me to get out Self Reliance by uh, by Ralph Waldo Emerson, which is something I reread every couple of years, and it had been a little while. I just absolutely love that, and you you had me getting it out and reading it on the bedstand last night. Oh wow! Uh, but but I was wondering also, as you prepare for something that's such a mental and emotional challenge, like what you're about to start, do you find yourself reading more fitness and more, or you know, more sailing, or do you find yourself reading more philosophy to prepare yourself? Good question. Um, a bit of both, but at the moment, a lot of philosophy. So I, honestly, I have I think about fifty books that I've just ordered that I'm taking on the boat with me. Um, there are, and I would say 80, 90% of them are philosophy. Only reason being, I think it gets to the point where my split times and swimming and my nutritional strategy is just all down to a point. Like I've got, I'm not to say I've got it figured out because a lot could go wrong, but I'm not going to get any better as a swimmer. And I'm sort of sitting here thinking, um, what would make the biggest impact or what's going to be the biggest contributor of success? Is it trying to shave, you know, one second off my hundred meter split or would it be trying to unearth some sort of philosophy that I can tap into at any given moment when I'm swimming around the highlands in pitch black and, you know, seven foot waves are just hitting me in the face. You know, what could I draw upon? So, wow. Yeah. So yeah. it's, yeah. It, I mean, like I said, I'd love to, I'd, I'd, I have no idea what's going to happen. I'd love to catch up with you guys afterwards and say, oh, I had this epiphany when I was swimming across the Irish Sea. <laughs> I don't know if that would be the case. I certainly hope it is. Definitely take a <laughs> so, notebook okay. and jot down some notes. So you're, you're going to be listening to audiobooks, though. That's that's mm-hmm. interesting. So you'll, ha- you'll have your earphones out there and you'll be listening to, uh, to Ralph Waldo Emerson and ho- hopefully some Nietzsche in there as well. Oh yeah, no. So it's all. Um, I'm, so yeah, with open water swimming, you're not allowed. Um, uh, this sounds so weird. You're not allowed headphones because it's considered. Okay. An so it's all being done um, with the right rules and restrictions. So I'm not allowed. So it will literally be um, reading as much as I can during my downtime, and then a la- when you've got that sort of sensory deprivation, you can't hear anything, or swimming at night, you can't see anything. It would just be going over everything that I've just read. So there'll be this real element of sort of like mm. reading a book and then thinking, right, I'm now going to be swimming for 30 hours so I can actually mull over what I've just read. So, so you're getting a waterproof copy of Ralph Waldo Emerson to read to read in the Irish Sea then? I'm, I'm still, I don't quite understand. <laughs> oh, no, he gets to just That's be alone question. with his no, thoughts. Yeah, we've got on the boat. Oh, oh, did it cut out? Oh, no, we're here. We're here. Oh, you're back. Yeah. Yeah. No. So I've got my own, my own cabin on, on the boat and then it would just be, yeah, downtime. So like, like I said, that biphasic sleep. Six hours, six hours in the water, six hours on the boat, six hours on. Okay, um, okay. Then now it's making a little bit more sense. Right. Right. Can, can you get us a copy of your reading list? I would be totally fascinated to yeah, see what absolutely. was on your shelf on the on the book. Or on oh, the boat. absolutely. Yeah, I'll, I'll send you a picture as well because the cabin looks amazing. So it is, like I said, it's a tiny little cabin. And I've just kind of uh, decided to forego space and comfort for books instead. So I'll send you a picture as well. You'll, you'll That'd like be wonderful. It. Well, well, best of luck with that. I'm hoping that there will be a full video series documenting, documenting this one as well. Yes, at, at least take a notebook and jot down your thoughts because I'm curious to see what six hours of swimming with your own thoughts will do. <laughs> I will. And yeah, on this one, it's um, there are weekly uh, video diaries on the uh, Red Bull YouTube channel. So 
it's going to, I think the nice thing about this with the events in the past, um, we've shot them and then it's been live a few months after. Whereas with this, and then also my own social media. So with this, it's going to be very much in real time. So you'll be able to see my body breaking down over the hundred days <laughs> real time. So, yeah. Okay. So, so yeah, let's, uh, so let's make this easy for people to find you're on Instagram in particular, it seems like, um, yes. Red, and Red Bull's YouTube channel. Uh, what, what day is this all going to start? Uh, it's looking weather dependent on June the 1st. So, okay. Next. So very soon. <laughs> very soon yeah wow well thank and you then, so much for making some time to talk with us beforehand on such a short deadline i really appreciate that thank you not at all no no this has been there's been a lot of fun well, but yeah like it would be good to, to tune in afterwards i would just love to actually get your opinion on maybe the few of the things that i've discovered or you know I'm, like i said i'm hoping for a sea-based epiphany of some <laughs> So it'll be good to check in afterwards. Yeah, I, ho- I hope you I hope you find something out there, some clarity. Plus, the world's fittest book will be out in a month or so in the United States and is out in the UK now and doing very well. So, Ross Edgley, thank you so much for coming and talking with us. Yes, thank you. Oh, thank you so much, guys. Thank you. Jamie, Progressive's Employee of the Month, two months in a row. Leave a message at the... Hi, Jamie. It's me, Jamie. I just had a new idea for our song about the Name Your Price tool. So when it's like, tell us what you want to pay, hey, 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 and the trombone goes, blah, 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 and you say, we'll help you find coverage options to fit your budget. Then we just all do finger snaps while a choir goes, savings coming at ya, savings coming at ya. Yes? No? Maybe? Anyway, see your practice tonight. I got new lyrics for the rap break. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.